video, we are in the middle of a series. We're knee deep in our October series already. Man, you know, we've been talking a lot about Christmas during the week on our, our meetings. It's amazing, you know, Christmas season pretty much has already started, but it's going to start in church work very, very soon, and it's coming quick. So we're excited about it, but there's also that level of, oh my goodness, it's coming quick. <laughs> and, um, but we're, we're enjoying this October series a lot, and uh, living inside out is what it's called. And, um, you know, if, if you've been here, you know what we're, we're talking about. We're talking about the fact that we are designed to live as God pours into us, that we are designed to pour out into others. That that's God's plan for each and every one of us. I, you know, my wife spoke last week and did a phenomenal job. And uh, one of the things she said that really stuck with me, she said, you know, we're not responsible to fill everybody's cup, but we're responsible to empty our cup. And to trust God to fill us. And he, as he continually fills us, we continually pour out into others. That's that... That encapsulates what this series is about, about living inside out. We have a picture that really encapsulates how we see it as a church and what it's meant to look like for us. See, that's, a, that's new hope with the roof blown off and the light coming out. And that, is, that is meant to be the call of God for each and every one of us. That we, are, we, are, we are that light. We are what comes out of this place and affects our community in Grovetown, Columbia County, and all over the world. Amen? And uh, we are so passionate about that that... This, this series is not just some token series we're doing because it's October and it's outreach month, and that's what typically what we do here at New Hope, but it's about this is who we are. And I, I feel so passionate about the fact that God has called each and every one of us to live a life where we are not just focused on building our kingdom, but we're focused on building his kingdom. We're not just coming into the family of God for what we can get out of it, but because of what we can give. When God's love has been poured into our hearts, he wants us to pour it out into those that God will put in our life. And uh, we have a theme verse for this month that we've been sharing each week, and I'm going to share it again this morning. In fact, I'm going to ask you to stand with me, just in honor of reading the Word of God. I think it deserves it. Amen? In Philippians 2, verses 3 to 4, the Apostle Paul, this is his letter to the church in Philippi, he tells them to do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Well, that pretty much disqualifies all of us, right? But in humility, consider others better than yourselves, each of you should look not only to your own interests, but also to the interests of others. Would you pray with me this morning? Lord Jesus, thank you for your presence in this place. God, thank you for every person in this building, every person listening online. I pray, Father, that none of us would, would be, after this is over today, that none of us would be the same. That you would pierce our hearts with your love, Lord, and if we need conviction, that you would convict us. And God, that you would do your work in us, that our lives would be lived inside out that we would have an impact on the people that you've put in our world. And we'll give you all the praise and the glory for it, Lord. Do your work. Do the work that only you can do in our hearts these next few minutes. We love you and we thank you for it. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. And everyone said? Amen. 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 God bless you. You can be seated. So the first couple of weeks we talked about marginal living. Last week Joy talked about intentional living. And today we're going to talk about responsible living. Responding to the call of God. You know, we all have a call of God on our lives. And some of, our, some of the call of God in our lives is the same for all of us as followers of Christ. Some of us have a different call. Some of us are, are called to different things. But there are some things that we're all called to as followers of Jesus. And, and, and part of that is living inside out. It is being the hands and feet of Jesus. How that looks for each one of us can be different, right? But we're all called to be his hands and his feet. I, I loved also... Something Joy said last week was that, you know, Jesus said that we are the salt of the world. We are to be salt and light, right? 
And today when we think of salt, we think of salt as something that flavors food, makes it taste better, you know, unless you have too much. But if you got just the right amount, it does make things taste better. But, but when Jesus said this, back in that, their society, before refrigerators, salt was meant as a preservative. It was meant to keep things from decaying. And so what Jesus is saying to us as his followers is that we are meant to be the people in society that keep society from decaying. So the, so the decay that we see in our society, and I think we'd all admit and agree that it seems like our society is decaying at a rapid pace, right? Well, you know what? That's an indictment on us because we are the salt. We are the anti-decayers. We are the ones that are meant to keep our society from eroding like it has. So that tells me that the reason we're seeing this decay in our society is because the church is not answering the call of God to live inside out. We're not answering the call of God to be salt and light in this world, to be the hands and the feet of Jesus, that we're too self-consumed in our own faith and in our own lives. Because if we weren't, we would probably be seeing different things in our society because God wants you and me to be the hope that other people have. We're the ones that are to carry the hope. We're the hope carriers of this world because we have Jesus living in us. So when we see that decay, it's, it's indicative upon us to do something about it. And it's not about winning arguments. It's about being the love of Jesus to our society and what they need. And God is looking for people who will respond to his call to be that. He is looking for people. His eyes look to and fro around the earth, looking for people that will respond to his call to be his hands and feet in our society. This is not for a select few. It's not for people that are, that are just called to vocational ministry. This is for all of us. That verse I read, our theme verse, that we would not only look to the interests of ourselves, but we look to the interests of others. That's for every one of us. And let me tell you something. It's no excuse to sit here and say, well, you know what? I just don't have, I don't have the gifting. I don't have the wherewithal. I'm just not smart enough. I'm not connected enough. I don't have the resources. No excuse. Let me tell you something. If the, if the Lord can use me, he can use all of us. I'll say it again. If he can use me, he can use all of us. I'm no more special than anybody else in this room, anybody else in the world. It's all about being obedient and responding to the call of God in our life. And you know, there's, there's someone else here this morning that I've heard say that many times, that if God can use me, he can use anyone. And that's Pastor Roger Gardner. He's sitting here in the front row. I'm going to ask him to come up here in a minute. He's going to share with us for just a second. Because what I want to do since we're in this series, I really want to highlight some of the, some of the ministries that we as a church support. Your, your giving actually helps support the bridge ministry that Pastor Roger leads. And so I wanted him to come and share just a little bit about what your giving does in helping to help him fulfill the call of God on his life. And he has said many times that if God can use me, he can use anyone. A lot of you know Pastor Roger, and, and a lot of you know his testimony. He had a very, very rough, tough past in his life before he gave his heart and his life to Jesus. And I know that he was in a hospital room on a bed by himself, and he got saved, and God raised him up. He was on the verge of death, and God completely restored him and healed him, and he's lived for Jesus ever since. He has responded to the call of God on his life. And I'd like for him to come up and share just for a few minutes about what, what he has felt like God has called him to and what the bridge ministry has done, because, again, this is what your giving has helped support. So, Pastor Roger, would you come and share for just a few minutes this morning? Would you welcome him as he comes? The bridge is extra special to us at New Hope here. If you've been here, you know, because Pastor Roger was on staff here for 12 years, and the bridge ministry actually came out of New Hope. And so our connection to the bridge is more than just, oh, we just help them. They're, they're us. They're our family. He's our family. And I'm so thankful for him being here this morning. Good morning, New Hope. 
Y'all look just as amazing and as beautiful as you did the last time I was here. And I just thank you, Reagan and the staff, uh, for the opportunity to just do an update on what's been taking place in the bridge ministry. I love the song that says that God's promises are yes and amen. But then we need to take the initiative to take one of the promises and say, I'm going to stand on this one for what God has called me to do. In Psalms 41, it says, Blessed is he who considers the Lord. The Lord will deliver him in time of trouble. Amen. The Lord will preserve him and keep him alive. And he will be blessed on the earth. And you will not deliver him unto his enemies. Are you thankful for that? When we consider the poor, doesn't mean that we look at them in the condition that they're currently in. But the condition they can be in when they come to the Lord Jesus Christ and we shed the light that comes out of the church, that comes out of the church within us because you are called to be the church. And in the bridge ministry, I can tell you that January next year, we will celebrate 14 years. 14 years of serving the inner city homeless and the poor and watching the communities come together, watch churches come together, watch what only God could do because we continue to give him the honor and the glory. But we, just like any church in the city, when COVID hit this year, we were in shock and awe, like probably everyone. When someone comes out with a new rule that you can't have more than 10 people together in one place, that's kind of like says, you're shut down. So even in that little area or time of the shutdown that we had to conform to the laws and the rules of the land, God gave us an opportunity to get quiet. He gave us a time to rest. And in that little bit of time, I asked God, God, would you please give me some ideas, give me some new creativity, because things don't look the way that they used to look. And so when we came back just within a very short time, because we ran a food pantry, we run a food pantry in the warehouse. And in the food pantry, again, according to the PPE and the restrictions and the distancing, we had to do everything outside of the warehouse. Whereas before, we were very intimate with every one of our customers. We had an opportunity to share life together. We had an opportunity to pray. We had an opportunity to believe for the greater, for every person that came. And all of a sudden, we had to serve people outside in the parking lot at a distance, six feet apart with a mask on. I don't know about you, but I'm ready to get on the road to demask us with Jesus Christ, right? And uh, just a one-liner. So we saw things change in the physical realm, and I'm so glad that we don't have to be big in numbers to be big in the eyes of the Lord. And so we took the idea that, yeah, we can't go to the bridge right now. We can't do some things, but God, we believe that in you we can do all things. And so we said, Lord, what's next? And we found out that people were not coming to us. So what's the resolve? We go to people. So we loaded up our little food truck called Planet Hope, which was at New Hope, uh, even before we started the ministry. And we loaded it up with bags of food and hygiene and diapers and whatever we could fit in it. And we just asked, Lord, show us where you want us to go. It may be Harrisburg. It may be North Boundary. It may be South Augusta. But we found ourselves going to places that we'd never been before. And we'd have never had that opportunity if it wouldn't have been for something that God was turning into good that seemed to be evil. And so as we did that, then we found out that why can't we find any of our homeless guys? 
Well, then we found out that there's a hundred of them quarantined in the Salvation Army. Well, we don't want them to know that we forgot about them. So we come back to the warehouse and we start making up bags of non-perishable food. And we make big bags of food, go down to the Salvation Army every week and provide a hundred bags of food that we wouldn't normally do to let the homeless know we love you. We care about you. We may not be able to see you, but we want to let you know that we still care. And then there was an opportunity where we had a church come to us called the river, Pastor Cliff Nobles. He was feeding 250 families a day, five days a week. And we found that because we were still picking up groceries from our local food line and our local Walmart right here, shop there. They support us. They give us a tremendous amount of food every week. So we found ourselves with an abundance. And so we took our abundance and we joined Pastor Cliff as they fed 250 people. We, were oper- we had the opportunity to help them feed almost 500 families a week. So here we see ourselves doing new things, new operations, new ideas in, a, in, a, in, a, in an area that we would have never had that opportunity. We have an area in our food pantry that very few people know about. It's a great testimony that only God could weave together. We have a disaster relief area. It started about 10 years ago when, when tornadoes hit Alabama, when hurricanes would hit Florida, when hurricanes would hit North Carolina. Well, in August this year, Laura hit all of the Gulf Coast, but our specific area was Lake Charles. And so immediately we had a crew that had been kept connected with us over the years that as soon as a disaster hits, they are there the very next day. So they call us and they said, we got to load up in the morning. We're going to drive all day, all night, whatever it takes. We're going to be in Lake Charles. Can you help us? Again, we just emptied our disaster relief area. We gave them everything that we had for disaster relief. We gave them clothes. We gave them blankets. We gave them diapers, hygiene, food. And we loaded that truck. And we took some pictures and put it on Facebook. That evening, we got a message on Facebook from a lady here in Augusta who said, my sister is in Lake Charles, Louisiana. She has no power, no water, no food. She is really in dire straits. Do you think your team could help? Well, she sent us her sister's phone number. We gave that to the people that were on their way driving to Lake Charles. And that evening, that lady had food. That. <laughs> Sometimes you just have to give God all the glory when you really don't have anything to do with it, right? And so that's just one story of the things that we've had the opportunity to do. And, and yes, um, we did go back to the bridge in June. Again, it was like another shock and awe. But we have to take temperatures of people coming to the bridge. We have to rope off the area. We have to set the chairs six feet apart. We have to wear masks to get food. We have to make all the plates of food here. So many things are different. And so we went down, and the very first time we showed up, there was about 18 people. Wow, like, like this is really serious. And so we came back a couple of weeks later. We were, we were only doing every other Saturday. And, and so we came back and we continued to press in and First Baptist would pick up the other Saturday. So it was really easy on everybody doing every other Saturday. And then we climb, our numbers would climb up to about 20 and then maybe 24 or 25. And we sat back and we had a board meeting and I said, is, is it really worth it? And they said, no, why don't we just shut it down until, you know, we're over COVID. 
So we went back the following Saturday, and I tried to make an announcement that I could not make, that I was going to shut down. And the reason that happened was I, I made the announcement. I said, but we will be back with food, and we're going to feed you in two weeks. And then this gentleman, this homeless gentleman, came to me, and he said, but Pastor Roger, this is the only place in town that we can get food other than the harvest table but it's the only place that we can go to church. Well, driving home that day, I heard that scripture. I left the 99 to go after the one. So <laughs> there was no shutdown. And, uh, and we found out that the atmosphere of the bridge has changed. We don't have a big number, but my, do we have a big presence of God. And we found the people are more hungry for God than they are for food. And they proved it one day when we didn't have enough food. We had an influx of people show up one day, 70 or 80 people. We ran out of food, and we still had people coming. But some of the people that had went through line had gotten food for their families at home. And I made an announcement. Is there anyone that would give their plate to the people that are coming as we've run out? And almost like half of them jumped out of their seats and said, take my plate. And so we see an atmospheric change under the bridge in our churches throughout the city, and I believe through the world. I believe we're at the tipping point of the greatest outpouring of the Lord Jesus Christ that we've ever seen, and that's what we're promoting under the bridge, and that's what we're promoting in the food pantry, and that's what we're promoting with the people that we're connected to. And I'm still going to uh, other churches as I have the opportunity to present the bridge, but most of all, to lift up the name of Jesus Christ. I'm going to, uh, to finish with this, and I want to tell you, Pastor Reagan, you are absolutely truthful. We could not operate the bridge ministry without New Hope Worship Center. New Hope Worship Center is the foundation of my Christian life. I did not know anything about God until I walked in through the doors of this church. But the in-kind donations of this church is probably well over 150000 and more. And, and so that is this really the sustaining foundation again of our ministry is down in that warehouse. And we wouldn't be where we're at today if it weren't for you. And I want to thank you for that. And I'll tell you, I, when I walked through these doors 21 years ago, I was homeless. Not in a way that I didn't have a place to lay my head. But I was homeless because I didn't have a home with Jesus Christ. And New Hope loved me through that because I was, was a, really a bad person. And uh, God changed that. You know, when I was lost, I couldn't see the difference between the lost and the saved. I couldn't see it. And nobody was telling me about it. I couldn't see the difference between the saved and the lost. But after I was saved, I couldn't get my eyes off the lost, not because of the difference, but because of the cost. And I want to leave with this. The bridge ministry for nearly 14 years has pressed through the blistering heat, shivered through the frigid cold, soaked in the rain, endured the wind. No obstacle, difficulty, delay, disappointment, or demon has stopped us from loving the unloved, caring for the unwanted, believing in the broken, and living for the dying. We have loved the lost, embraced the abused, encouraged the afflicted, held the hurting, cried with the crushed, wept with the weary, given hope to the homeless, help to the <laughs> hope to the hopeless, help to the homeless, prayed for the impossible, believed for the unbelievable, 
and no challenge has ever outweighed the reward. God bless you, and thank you so much. God bless you, Pastor Roger. Thank you, Pastor Roger. Wow. What a powerful, powerful ministry. And, uh, you know, the, uh, your giving helps support them. We, we, we commit a budget of our, part of our um, home missions and outreach budget to them every month. And so uh, I'm, I'm really excited for them to be able to come and share today because it just encourages me and, and challenges us uh, on the fact that there, is, there are people out there that are doing it. You know, Pastor Roger answered the call. He answered the call. And, you know, God has equipped him for what he's called him to do, and he's equipped you for what he's called you to do. And he's called us all to make an impact in the kingdom of God. Every single one of us are called to make an impact in the kingdom of God, not just our own kingdom. Some are called to, to full-time ministry, vocational ministry, like Pastor Roger or myself or others. But we're all called to ministry. Whether it's vocational or not, if you're not called to vocational ministry, you're called to ministry in your place of work. You're called to ministry in your home, in your neighborhood, among your friends, wherever we go. We are called to minister the love of the gospel of Jesus Christ. We're all, every single one of us is called to it. And you know, life is full of call and response. Life is full of, of things in our life, outside of our faith even, things that, that make a call to us and we respond to those calls in our life. You know, if you have a job today, your employer made a call to you to offer you a job. And you responded to that call by saying, yes, I will take that job. And you, you started your job at this place. That was a call and a response. If you're in the military, we have a lot of military. We're in a, we're in a military town. Maybe a recruiter came to you or you went to a recruiting office or you talked to a, a somebody and they, they made a call to you to offer you to be part of the armed forces. And you responded to that call by saying yes and you joined the military. Right? If you're married today, as a man, you probably made a call to your girlfriend and asked her to marry you. And for some of us, it took a little more work than others, but we convinced the girlfriend to marry us, right? And, uh, and then you become husband and wife. She, she responded to your call. Your, your body calls to you every day. Your body calls you and says, I'm hungry. And we respond to that call by eating. Your body calls you and says, I'm tired. And we respond to that by resisting and staying up late anyway, right? No, we go to bed. We get some rest. We respond to the call in our life. And spiritually, we've responded. If you are a follower of Jesus today, if you'd say, I am a Christian, you have responded to the call of God in your life for salvation. Right? You responded. God called to you and said, I sent my son to die for your sins. And your sins have been atoned for. You could be washed clean as snow, white as snow, if you will receive the forgiveness that I offer you from the cross and my resurrection. And we responded to that by saying yes, and we experienced salvation. If you're in this room and you would call yourself a Christian, that's what happened with you. Now, if you're here and you have not responded to that, you'd say, well, I'm not a Christian today. Then I would encourage you today that God's calling you today to salvation. He's calling each and every one of us to salvation. There's none of us that are too far from God to be saved. Amen. There's none of us that have done too much that we cannot respond to the call of salvation. If any man will call upon the name of the Jesus, they will be saved. If you believe in your heart, that he is God and that God raised him from the dead, you shall be saved. So I want to encourage you today that all of us are, are called to respond to the call of God. And you know, all those things that I've mentioned require a continual response in our life. When we respond to the call, if you responded to the call of an employer to have a job, 
That's a continual response. If you say, yeah, I'll take the job, you responded, but then you never show up to work, you're not going to have a job very long, are you? You respond consistently. If you're in the military and you responded to that call and you joined the military, if you don't show up, that's not going to work out really well for you. In fact, in the military, you know, I, I know they, they tell you where, how, when, how often, and, and how to do it, right? They pretty much own you if you're in the military. They own your time. So you have to respond continually. In marriage, you have to respond continually. If, you're, if you get married and you think, oh, I'm done now, I'm married, and you don't live like a, a husband or a wife, you're, it's not going to go very well for you either, is it? We respond to the call. And we also do that in our faith. We respond to the call consistently in our life. It's not a one-time thing. The salvation that we experience when we give our hearts and our lives to God is just the very beginning. And, and God, has, God calls us to live a life and live a life that's inside out, to be his hands and feet, to be, to be the voice of hope for our society. He, he, he calls us to that, and it's a continual response in our life. And I would challenge you today, if you've been changed by the resurrection power of Jesus, and you are a Christian today, and you don't have a, there's nothing in you that wants to, to live inside out, to make an impact in your society and in your world, then something is missing. The Bible is very clear. It says, freely you have received, freely give. We receive the love of God, we give the love of God. We receive the grace of God, we give the grace of God. We've received the, the glory of God in our life, we are vessels of that glory to our world that God has called us to. And, you know, responding to the call of God is such a mixed bag, isn't it? Because on the one side, when we respond to God's call, there's that sense of purpose and fulfillment, the sense that we are involved in something and we're part of something that's bigger than ourselves. And there's joy that comes with that, knowing that we're, we're not just living for ourselves, we're living for a greater purpose for God's kingdom. There's definitely a joy that comes with that. But then there's also the other side of that that's a tension for us because in our nature, in ourself, we are selfish. We are we want to preserve ourselves. We want comfort in life. And responding to the call of God will take those things away from us sometimes. And so it can be, it can be a challenge for us to really respond to this call in our life. You know, Joy said last week, she said that the reason Jesus said to go and make disciples was because it's in our nature to stay and gather disciples. That's such a good word. He had to tell us to go and make disciples because that's not in our nature. Our nature is to stay and be comfortable. Our nature is to gather disciples. Today in church, we're gathering disciples. This is fun. This is comfortable. We're with like-minded people that love Jesus too, and it feels really good. And it's a great thing. But Jesus said, you can't just stay here. We have to go and make new disciples, not just enjoy the ones we have now, but make an effort to make new disciples. That's why we are the hands and feet of Jesus. And you know, I mentioned that the military, they pretty much own you when you're part of the military. Well, I got news today too, that if you've joined God's army, he owns you too. The Bible is very clear that your life is not your own, that you have been purchased with a price. You have been purchased with a price if you call yourself a follower of Jesus today. So it's no longer that we could say, well, this is it's my life. I'm going to do what I want. No. Jesus purchased you. He paid, a, he paid the most incredible price that could be paid by laying down his life for us. And so he owns us too. And it's our responsibility to respond to that call. So I want to give you quickly today three calls to respond. I believe three calls. We're all called to these three things in our life as we respond to God and living inside out. The first one is a call to surrender. We're called, every one of us is called to surrender. This is, this is first on my list because without this, everything else is moot. 
Because if we're not surrendered to God, we cannot live inside out. Cannot do it. See, surrender has a negative connotation in our society, doesn't it? Surrender is something you do as a last-ditch thing. You wave the white flag if you have no other option. That's the only time you do it. And our society doesn't like that term surrender, but in our faith, it's actually a good thing. It's not only a good thing, it's required. It's a prerequisite to everything else that has to do with living our life for God. It's first and foremost that we have to surrender to him. In fact, Paul says in Romans 12, 1, he says, Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, he is saying, I'm pleading with you, I'm begging you. Paul had great, great revelation of Jesus. And so he's saying, listen to me, based on my revelation of Jesus, I'm urging you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies, that's surrender, as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. He's saying, please, church. He's saying, brothers and sisters, he's talking to Christians. He's saying, please, 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 for the love of God, offer your bodies as a living sacrifice. He's not saying it because it's just the right thing to do, but he's saying it because he knows that that's what everything catapults. That's the catalyst for everything else in our Christian faith. You know, sacrifice in the Old Covenant, in the Old Testament, was when you brought an animal to sacrifice. You brought it to the priest. The priest sacrificed it to make atonement for your sin or to to do some form of an offering, and it, it meant the death of that animal. The new covenant, Paul tells us to bring your bodies as a living sacrifice. We're still sacrificing. We're not, we're not dying a physical death. We're just basically dead to ourselves. We're not, we don't have rights to ourselves anymore. He, he's saying you, you offer your body as a living sacrifice, which means I have no more right to this. I've given it over to God. And it even goes further in Galatians 2.20. He says, for I have been crucified with Christ. And it is no longer I who live But Christ, who lives in me, and the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. He's saying, I am crucified with Christ. What does crucifixion symbolize? It's death. He's saying, for all intents and purposes, I'm dead. There's nothing left of me. When I've given myself to Jesus, there's nothing left of me. My life is his. He bought me for it with a price, and my whole life is him. I am crucified. I do it daily to give myself to him to make sure that my life is his, and it is not my own anymore. And see, you will never live inside out if you're not surrendered to him, and here's why. Because you don't have it in you to do it on your own. None of us do. We don't have it in us to do it without the power of God in our life. And the power of God comes into our life as we are surrendered. This is the principle of the faith that the world doesn't understand. But we as Christians are, are exhorted, we are encouraged to surrender, to, to uh, embrace our weakness. Because that is when the power of God comes into our life. You know the, the passage in 2 Corinthians where Paul, he's, he's begging God to take this thorn from his flesh. He says, I've asked God three times to take this thorn and he wouldn't do it. This is what God said to him in 2 Corinthians 12. He says, but he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you. For my power, that's God's power is made perfect in weakness, in your surrender. God's power comes in to our life. It comes to the rescue of us when we are surrendered to him. When we are willing to say, God, I need you. I can't do this on my own. I need your power in my life. It's the only way I'm going to get through and function in this life. 
Church, I can tell you today on the authority of God's word that the things we deal with in life, those sins that continually come up in our life, and you know what yours is, you know what those things are that you just feel like sometimes you cannot get victory over and you're constantly dealing with it, you're constantly asking God to forgive you, and you just can't seem to get victory. The reason we deal with those things is because we don't surrender them to God. It's not about trying to get strong enough to beat it. It's about laying it down and saying, God, I cannot do it. I cannot do it. In fact, I refuse to do it. I'm laying it at your feet, and I'm going to let you do the work. And he will come in, and his grace is sufficient for us because his power is made perfect in our weakness. His grace in our life is the power to overcome. But that comes in our weakness. As long as we're strong on our own, we're on our own. It's only when we are weak that God can be strong in our life. And we limit his power when we don't embrace this weakness. And this is not a physical weakness. This is a spiritual weakness. This is an understanding and a knowing that on my best day, my holiest day, the day where I've sinned the least that I could possibly have sinned and I've done everything I know to do to be right, I don't measure up. That my righteousness is as filthy rags to him. There's nothing good in me apart from his spirit living in me. That's what that understanding is. It's saying, I'm so, in comparison to you, God, my heart is deceitfully wicked above all else. I cannot measure up. I'm never going to do anything that's going to make God go, oh, yeah, I'm impressed with that guy today. Man, he's really, he's, he's on it. He's, he's read 10 chapters in his New Testament just today. Man, we're impressed. Let's go ahead and do what he wants us to do for him. It's not about that. It's about people that are surrendered and willing to respond to the call to surrender in our life. It's about saying, your kingdom come, not mine. Your will be done, not mine. Your glory, not mine. Your purpose, not mine. Your everything, my nothing. That's what it is. That is responding to the call to surrender. And if we want to be able to live in such a way where we can make an impact in our world, in our society, in our circle of influence, it starts with surrender. It starts with answering the call to surrender to him. And it's not a one-time thing because nobody has figured it out in a day. Doesn't matter how long you've been saved, you're never going to get this to where you just, I've done it and I'm good. We don't check this one off our list. This is a fresh one on the new list every morning. Probably every hour or two. We have to make it a, a habit in our life. The second one is a call to surrender. I'm sorry, that was the first one. The second one is a call to suffer. We respond to the call to suffer. Did you know that God calls us to suffering? This is a difficult truth. This is a deep truth of the gospel that many Christians are never willing to embrace. In fact, it goes against some teaching that you will hear. This goes against the prosperity gospel for sure. But God has called us to suffer. And I'm going to explain, okay? First of all, we know that suffering, this is very countercultural, right? Everything in our culture says you do everything in your power. You spend all your time and resources to make sure you don't suffer, right? In fact, we do that too. We, we, if, if my air conditioner breaks in July, I'm going to do what I got to do to get that bad boy fixed, right? And I'm okay with that, especially because I know my wife's really okay with that. And if my heater breaks in the winter, I'm going to spend some money to make sure that thing's working. And I'm going to make sure the air conditioner's working in my car. I'm going to make sure my, my bed is nice and soft and my pillows are fluffy and my, my clothes in the winter are warm and, and my house feels comfortable and good. There's nothing wrong with any of those things. Nothing wrong with those things at all. But the issue is it bleeds into our spiritual life too. And we approach our faith too often where we try to live our faith out in such a way that we never have to suffer in our faith either. And that is not scriptural. 
In fact, Jesus said, in this world, you will have what? Trouble. He didn't say, you know, you might have some trouble, but if you really love me, I'll take it away. He says, you will. You will have trouble. You can take heart in your trouble, but you're going to have it. And then he says, in, in Luke, he talks about the cost of being a disciple. And he, he tells us, he's like, you got to count the cost if you're going to be my disciple. And he goes as far as to say that one of the harshest things you could ever say to people that you're trying to get to follow you, he says, if you're going to follow me, you better take up your cross and follow me. He said, I, he didn't say, pick up your cotton candy and your fried chicken and follow me. He said, pick up your cross. What is the cross a symbol of? Death and suffering. I mean, I, I'm not making this stuff up, okay? And I think for too long, this is why the church has allowed our society to decay is because we don't want to embrace this truth sometimes. But we are called to suffer in our faith. You are going to, if you're going to live for Jesus the way he has taught us, taught us and called us to live, we are going to go through suffering. And we don't, we don't look for suffering. We don't, we don't try to find it. We're not masochists. We're not sadomasochists where we want pain and suffering and discomfort and things that make us unhappy. But when those things come, we don't necessarily have to resent them and work every ounce of energy we have to make sure those things don't come. And I'm going to give you some verses, some scripture here that will help you. First of all, in Acts 5, the church is brand new. The Holy Spirit just came in chapter 2. The church is growing by leaps and bounds. People are getting healed, saved, set free. I mean, it is a pretty awesome time in the church. People are, the church is growing by thousands. And the Sanhedrin, Pharisees, religious leaders, they did not like it. They thought they got rid of Jesus, and here he is. He's popping up, you know, through his disciples. And they confronted the disciples, told them to stop it. The disciples wouldn't stop it. So finally they brought him in, and they, they were so angry, the Bible says, they wanted to kill him. And so the Pharisees and the Sanhedrin, they had a meeting, and they were talking about what they were going to do. And this guy named Gamaliel, he stands up and he says, listen, guys, he's a Pharisee. And he says, you know, a while back there was this guy that started this whole thing. He had a following of about 400 guys, and eventually he got killed and his, his followers dispersed. And that happened again. Another guy started this, this thing, this following, and he got a bunch of followers. He died, and they all dispersed too. And he said, if this thing is not of God, you don't have to worry about it because their, their leader's dead. We killed Jesus. So if it's not of God, they'll disperse. It'll fizzle out. But if it is of God, you're not going to be able to stop it. That's right. He said, you're going to end up fighting against God. Nobody wants to do that. Okay? So let's look at what it says right after that in, in Acts 5.40. It says, his speech persuaded them. So they called the apostles in and had them flogged. Okay, a flogging, if you don't know what it is, that's a, that's a whooping. That's 39 lashes across the back with something that was not a wooden spoon. This was a royal beatdown. This was them saying, listen, guys, you're not going to do this again. And they made sure they remembered their time in the Sanhedrin. So they were flogged. It says, then they ordered them not to speak in the name of Jesus and let them go. Here we go. Watch this. The apostles left the Sanhedrin rejoicing because they had been counted worthy of what? Suffering disgrace for the name. That's perspective, church. Day after day in the temple courts and from house to house, they never stopped teaching and proclaiming the good news that Jesus is the Christ. Let me tell you something. The only way you can rejoice from that kind of suffering is if you've got some major perspective. Is if you know you're involved in something that's a lot bigger than yourself. It's if you know that what you're dealing with today is actually going to produce fruit down the road. That's exactly what it was. It produced fruit. It was put in the Bible. It's been talked about 2,000 years later. What happened to these guys? That they were rejoicing because they were considered worthy of suffering for Jesus. And as, as Christians, 
as Christians in the United States, we do everything in our power not to suffer for Jesus. Everything in our power not to suffer for Jesus. Let me tell you, we are willing to suffer when we know that what we're suffering for is going to produce fruit. You know, I'm willing to suffer through a workout when I'm miserable and my muscles are giving away when I know it's actually going to be good for my heart down the road. It's going to be good for my body and it's going to give me lasting effects, right? I'm willing to let my paycheck suffer and take money out of it into a 401k and get less money because I know that I'm building something that's going to produce fruit in my life for later, right? I'm willing to suffer and go to the mall with Joy if she promises me afterwards she'll take me for crab legs, okay? I'll stand there. I'll hold her purse while she tries on clothes with a smile on my face, as long as I can have my phone looking at something. But, but we will rejoice in the midst of suffering if we know we're suffering for something bigger. And here's the promise from Jesus. When we suffer for him, we're not suffering for nothing. We're suffering for a purpose. And again, church, I am not saying that we are to look for these things. We're not to go after. The, the disciples did not go looking for somebody to give them 39 lashes. But they were able to rejoice in that suffering because they understood the call to suffer because they knew that it was producing fruit not only in their life but for the gospel and for the kingdom of God. This is why it says in Romans 5, verses 3 to 5, he says, Not only so, but we also rejoice in our sufferings. See, I'm not making this up. Because we know that suffering produces perseverance, perseverance character, and character hope. And hope does not disappoint us because God has poured out his love into our hearts by the Holy Spirit whom he has given us. We rejoice because we know it's producing fruit in our life. I want fruit in my life. And, and, and I believe the word of God is clear that the real fruit that comes in our life, this, this hope comes from persevering through trial. You know, you only have to persevere in times when you're suffering. I've never heard somebody say they had to persevere through a three-day weekend. Or I had to persevere through that ice cream sundae. Unless you're lactose intolerant, then you would, but that's not my point. We persevere through suffering, and it produces character in us and hope. James says in chapter, uh, James 1, verse 4, he says, Perseverance must finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. What a great promise. This is why we can rejoice in our suffering. This is why we can respond to the call to suffer, because we know it produces character. The perseverance will get us to that place where we're not lacking anything. And that not lacking anything, we know that that's not talking about making sure you have every, all the money you need in your checking account or your body's perfectly healthy or everything in your life is perfect. That not lacking anything is talking about not lacking anything here. That no matter what my situation is, I'm not lacking. That's the place I want to be. And if it only comes through suffering, bring it on. Bring it on. I'm saying it in front of a whole crowd of people. God, bring it on. That's how I feel about it. Because something has got to change. Our society is not going in the right direction. The church is not, we're not doing our job. We're not meant to be comfortable being Christians and just hanging out. We're meant to be salt. We're supposed to stop the decay. But we can't because we're too worried about making sure we don't have to suffer. And we can't live that way, church. We can't live that way. We have to respond to the call. Oh, I want to get to that level of faith where when something were to happen to me where I was suffering, that I would be rejoicing. I would say, God, I don't want this, but if this is what it takes to build your kingdom and to cause me to not lack, I'm okay with it. I'm okay with it. And we are such a blessed nation, and that's a beautiful thing, but we have to make sure we don't allow that to bleed into our doctrine. That we just have to, everything just needs to line up and be perfect all the time. I believe God's a wonderful father. I believe he gives us good gifts, church. 
I'm not one of those that thinks everything has to be hard and if it's not difficult, it's not God. I don't believe that for a second. I'm a dad and I love it when my kids are happy and I'm giving them good things. But I also want them to grow up. And I also think there's more purpose for their life than them just being comfortable and happy. That's why sometimes I make them sleep on the floor. Just kidding. I don't make them, but they do sometimes just for the fun of it. All right, so the last one is a call to serve, and i got to finish up. A call to serve. Will you answer the call to serve? This is in my text verse, that we would not look not only to our own interests, but to the interests of others. That is serving other people. That is all about serving. This is not just about helping a friend move, but it's about living a life that's looking to meet other people's needs, to be the hands and feet of Jesus. And if you call yourself a Christian today, there is no place in the Christian's life to be narcissistic or just self-involved. It's actually an oxymoron to say a narcissistic Christian. It, it can't be. Because the Christian life is about serving others and giving others and laying down our life for others, exemplifying what Jesus did for us. He set the standard, gave us the, the playbook for what it looks like to be a follower of his. He says that a good tree will bear good fruit. And a bad tree will bear bad fruit. A good tree, he's talking about a follower of Jesus, a Christian. If you're a Christian, you will bear good fruit. You can't help it. And good fruit is about living outward. It's about living inside out, receiving the love of God and giving it out. So we don't have a choice as followers of Jesus. If we are a good tree, we bear good fruit. Period. It's not okay for us as Christians to do nothing. 1 Peter 4.10, it says, Each one should use whatever gift he has received to serve others, faithfully administering God's grace in its various forms. Each one. That's all of us, guys. It's all of us. We are called to serve others. To use whatever gift you have received. Every one of us has a gift. Don't, we can't say, oh, I don't have any gifting. I'm not any good. We've all been gifted. To, you have what somebody needs, and only you can give them what they need. Pastor Roger has what... The people downtown, the homeless, the poor in our society, what they need. He's got what they need. That may not be your thing, but you've got what somebody else needs that he can't give. It says in, our, in various forms, God's grace in its various forms. We are to administer his grace in various forms means there's different, different types. For you, it might be one way. For, for, and not only that, you have a circle of influence that somebody over here doesn't have. And it's always going to look different. You know, the story of the, the minas, the ten minas in Luke 19. Jesus gave a parable of the, the master came and gave ten of his servants ten minas, one mina each. And he said, I want you to work with these and do the work I want you to do. And I'm going to go away and I'm going to come back and you're going to give me what you got. And he went away and he came back. And the first one servant came to him and said, hey, with your one mina, I made ten more. And he gave it to the, the master and the master said, well done. And the second guy came and said, hey, with your mina, I got five more, I think it was, or three more. He said, well done, well done. And then another one of the servants came, and he only had his one mina that the master had given him. Basically just said, hey, I, I know you're kind of a hard man, and you kind of reap where you don't sow, and, and uh, I was scared, so I just kept it, and here, I can give it back to you. And look what the, the master says to that servant in Luke 19, 22. It says, the master replied, I will judge you by your own words, you wicked servant. You knew, did you, that I am a hard man taking what I did not put in and reaping what I did not sow? Why then didn't you put my money on deposit so that when I came back, I could have collected it with interest? Then he said to those standing by, take the mina away from him and give it to the one who has ten minas. 
And, and I've read this, this verse, and as a, a cursory reading, you think, man, that guy got judged pretty harshly. He called him a wicked servant. He didn't do anything dishonest. He didn't try to steal the money. He had it for him. He gave it right back to him. And I, I thought, you know, maybe he'd say, well, you know, you could have done more. But to call him a wicked servant and to judge him so harshly seems almost unfair. Until you realize that as followers of Jesus, as his children, we don't have the right to do nothing. It's not okay for us to do nothing. It's not okay for us to just coast along in our Christian life and expect that we're going to get and stand before God one day and say, and he says, what have you done? I said, well, you know, I was a good person. I didn't, I didn't get drunk and I didn't do drugs and I didn't sleep with my girlfriend. That ain't enough. That's not doing anything. That's not furthering the kingdom of God. He's given us all minas that we are meant to use to multiply his kingdom. So it's not okay for us to not do anything. This is actually a very harsh scripture if you think about it. And it, it, it stirs me up and it makes me think, okay, well, then it's not okay for me to just be a, a good person. I'm expected to use what God has given me to be his hands and feet to further the kingdom of God. It's not okay for us to not do anything. We are expected to respond to the love and the grace and the mercy of God in such a way that it will impact other people's lives. Because God is saying, you are the one that's going to impact those people out there. You're the one that's going to show those people out there that there's more to life than what they're living for right now. We are the hope of the world. Jesus in us, in the church, is the hope of the world. And he's using us. That's why we meet together. That's why we come together. It's why we grow in our faith so that we can go out there and make a difference. We're not just here to stay and gather. We're here to go and make. Amen? And we need to become, we need to be tired of being ordinary Christians. The ordinary Christian now is not enough. Our society needs extraordinary Christians. It's begging for extraordinary Christians that love Jesus so passionately, that will do what it takes, that will sacrifice for themselves to be able to share the love of God with someone, that will go without, that will use the money they save for vacation to meet a need for someone that might show them the love of God, or to give of their time in such a way that would really inconvenience them to show the love of God to someone or to sow seed into someone's life, whatever it is, however it looks for you, but to be willing to do whatever it takes to be the hands and feet of Jesus. Would you stand with me, please, as I close today? Church, God is looking today for people who will answer the call. The call to surrender, the call to suffer, and the call to serve. He's looking for people that will answer the call. Will you answer the call today? I'm asking you point blank. Will you answer the call? I don't want this to be a, a good sermon, an average sermon, where you go out today and you think, man, that was a good word. And by halftime of the one o'clock games, you forgot everything I said. That's not why, that's not why I'm up here. I mean, I'm thankful the Lord gave me this message because I was convicted all week going through this message. I was in here yesterday morning walking this stage and just praying like, God, I don't want to be a hypocrite. Let this be your word to me too. So I'm thankful for it. But man, I'm so passionate that this word would sink into our hearts, that we would impact the people that God has put in our lives. There are so many people out there that are dying, that are so desperate for God. They, some of them don't even know it. But we are the ones that God chose to be what those people need. We are the ones. You're the one. I'm the one. 
you can reach people in ways that I can't because I'm surrounded by Christians all the time, even in my place of work. That is a requirement to work here. You have to be a Christian. (laughs) But you guys are in the workplace. You have so much influence, so much that I'll never have. But we have to respond to the call and not be ordinary Christians. Let's get sick and tired of being ordinary Christians. I encourage you today, if you're married, this afternoon, talk to your spouse about this. Like, how can we make this real in our life? What can we do practically? How can we apply this to our life today to where this week, this doesn't just become something that we talk about and thinking, yeah, it was a good good day at church Sunday, but I don't remember what it was about. But that'll actually make an impact in our lives so that we can make an impact in other people's lives. Youth, you guys are together all the time. Talk about this. Talk about it. How can we make an impact? Like, it's cool to talk about godly stuff too. After you're done talking about TikTok, talk about the godly things, okay? Don't let this go away. Let's pray. Father God, we love you today. Thank you for your word. We thank you, God, that you love us so much. And Lord, everything we're doing today is just in response to your love. Lord, we know that you don't condemn us. We know today that there's nothing we could do to earn your favor. And that's just it, God. We come to you today completely surrendered. God, we want to respond to the call to surrender to you every single day. Every day, God. We know the flesh is never going to give up until we're with you face to face. But we will choose today to respond to the call to surrender. And God, we respond to the call to suffer. We're not looking for it, but we will rejoice in it. Because we do believe today that you are taking us on a journey. And that when we persevere, we will grow and we will get to that place where our faith will get us to where we will be mature and complete, not lacking anything, no matter what's going on around us. God, that's what we want. We want to be able to rejoice when we suffer for you, that we would be considered worthy of suffering for Jesus. What an incredible privilege. And Lord, help us to respond to the call to serve today, to serve others, Lord. We know you put people in our lives that need what we have. Help us to be that for those people. Help us to make it a priority in our life, Lord. Seal this work in our heart today, God. Let our hearts be good soil that will produce fruit. In Jesus' name, in Jesus' name, in Jesus' name, we need you desperately, God. You're our only hope. We love you, Lord. We love you, Jesus. It's in your name we pray, Lord. Amen. Amen, amen. God is good, amen. Can you worship him for just a moment with your hand clap or just telling him he's good? God, you're good. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Hallelujah. Mm, What a good God we serve.